If you want to know what's going on in a book, you read the last chapter. That's a great way to find out. As we look at the book of Hebrews, we, we, because we're looking at the end, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the beginning. The book of Hebrews is written to, can you guess? Hebrew believers, that's right, who are <clears throat> struggling with whether or not they should go back to an old way of living. And one of the things the writer of Hebrews lays out for us is that the things that they're trying to go back to, the things that they may, uh, uh, going back to temple worship or going back to uh, sacrifice, those things are passing away. Hebrews is written somewhere in the 60s. 66 AD, you have the beginning of the Jewish revolution against Rome. By 70 AD, there's no more temple. There's no more sacrifice. There's no place for them to go. But the author of Hebrews spends the first 12 chapters laying out for them that Jesus Christ is in every way supreme to everything they think they need. He is supreme over all of creation, he begins with. He's supreme over Moses. He's supreme over Abraham. He's supreme over the angels. Over and over he, he lays out. And then he gives us in chapter 11, a lot of folks love that chapter because he lays out for us the hall of faith. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who's that cloud? Well, let's talk about them. And he goes through all the great men and women of faith who followed Christ and, and ultimately found the reward that they're looking for. Something that was not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. So when you get to chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, this is the, well, what do we do now? So this all being true, Christ is supreme in every way. The, the old covenant is passing away. The new covenant is here. There's nowhere to go back to. The ships are burned. The bridge is down. There is only moving forward in Christ. Then what do we do? And sometimes if you like to spend any time at all watching the news or reading the news, uh, it's pretty easy to start to say, what should I be doing now? What's going on? Everything in the world is a little sideways, maybe a little more than a little sideways. Everything is a little topsy-turvy. And so the end of the book of Hebrews lays out for us 10 things he's going to we're going to talk about 10 things, and these 10 things are, are attitudes or uh, directives that we have from the Lord to be busy about until we see his face. He doesn't say, sell all your stuff, wear a little white robe, go on top of a mountain and sing Kumbaya. He doesn't tell us to do that. He tells us to occupy until he comes, to do business till he comes, to be about expanding the kingdom of God until we see Jesus' face. He even tells a parable at the end of Matthew 24, Matthew 25, he tells a parable about the talents. We all remember the parable of the talents? Each one was given a, a measure of talents, and then they're judged over what they did. The master went away for a long time, and then he came back, and there was a reckoning. What did you do with what I gave you? Now, some people were given less, some were given more, but the question wasn't about how much. The question was, what did you do? Did you forward the kingdom, or did you bury your stuff in the backyard? So we want to be men and women who are forwarding the kingdom of God, forwarding the call of God, taking the gospel forward, especially in a time like this, until we see Jesus face to face. 
when we see him face to face, and then we can go on to what's next, which will be glorious, right? That'll be a great day. Nobody, nobody here minds no more tears or sorrow, do you? No more pain. Nobody's upset about that. So let's look at Hebrews 13. Be challenged by the 10 things that, uh, that the writer of Hebrews lays out for us. We should focus on until we see Jesus. The very first one you just were a part of. It begins in Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Now, the reason we have to let brotherly love continue is because we are knuckleheads. And as knuckleheads, we get irritated with one another, we get frustrated with one another, and we start struggling with loving each other. But there's one thing Jesus told us to do, right? We, we spoke a little bit about it last night at Stake and Study, and that was the idea that he gave us a fresh commandment. It's not new. It's fresh because he added a phrase to it. He said, love one another as I have loved you. So the way we interact with one another ought to be um, informed by that truth, that commandment that Jesus gave us. In, in Romans 12, 10, it says, let one another with brotherly affection outdo each other in showing honor. Now, that doesn't mean you sit around and say, I'm going to wait until the other person honors me, and then I'll respond. No, that's not what it says. He says, outdo each other. Go out of your way to express honor to one another, to extend brotherly love to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. See, the Bible does not scare me about the things I don't know or understand. The scary parts of the Bible are the things I do understand, and then I don't want to do them. <laughs> Very first thing we're to do until we see Jesus' face is love each other. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other. And the reality is, most people in the world know that the church is the church by how we fight with each other. We have sibling rivalry. We get our little feelers in the way, and then we get all wound up over not being obedient to what God is calling us to. Let brotherly love continue. It's a, it's a gentle way of saying, stop it and love each other. Lay down your bitterness, frustration, and anger. Put that to death. And then let brotherly love continue. Now there's a couple of ways he's going to talk about. One, we have to be committed, right, to loving one another. That's saying, look, I'm going to lay these things aside. I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. And then we need to be careful how we treat each other. Look at verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why does he tell us that? Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For thereby... Some have entertained angels unaware. The Lord says, hey, you should have an attitude toward strangers like Abraham had toward angels. Now think about it. Abraham's sitting at home. He's probably tired. It's been a long day. He looks off in the distance by the oaks of Mamre, and he sees a party of people walking. He doesn't magically know that's God. He just has hospitality toward strangers. 
Now, he's going to discover it's a special stranger, right? He's going to go out and talk to him. It's in Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing there in front of him. <clears throat> and, uh, and when he saw them, he ran from the door to meet them. So he's not, they're not walking up to his door. He's sitting at his door, days up, three guys crossing his property. He can see them. And he gets up and he runs over because he, maybe they're thirsty. Maybe they need something. Maybe there's a way I can help them. Isn't that a different attitude than the attitude we have today when we pass people by? Yeah. Because we, we have a hard time recognizing what Scripture calls us to, and that is don't neglect strangers. Now, the goal is not, well, I'll neglect a few, but I want to make sure I catch all the angels. The goal is to think about strangers as though they were angels. If you looked out and you said, oh, there's the Lord and a couple of his angels, they're, they're out doing something, what would you be willing to do for them? That's the attitude that, that God wants us to express. It's going to cost you something. We just talked about when we were talking about communion, it cost Jesus something, didn't it, to love you? To love me? So when he bids us come, follow me, he's telling us, let brotherly love continue and don't neglect to give hospitality to strangers. Now, that doesn't mean you have to bring every stranger into your house. We want to walk in wisdom, but it does mean that you're willing to extend what is in your hand to the stranger. How can I help you? We see the same thing with Lot. If you remember Abraham... You have the exact same thing. When those angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going to destroy the city. As soon as they walk into the city, who saw them? Lot. What did he do? He ran to them, just like Abraham had. He doesn't know who they are yet. They weren't glowing with wings. They didn't look like, they're, oh, there's a couple guys about ready to destroy the city. I better go make nice. No. He cared about the stranger. And so he rushed to them. Scripture is replete with examples. Gideon, Manoah, you take some time, go through the word. You won't have a hard time finding people who are extending hospitality to strangers. This is how we are called to love one another. But not only do we want to have brotherly love continue, not only do we not want to neglect reaching out to strangers, but we also want to be concerned for those who are suffering difficult times. That's what we just did around Jackie, where we know someone is hurting, someone is in need, and then we, because we're the body of Christ filled with the love of God, are willing to extend a, 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 a caring hand, right? Look what it says in Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Trust me, if a part of your body was not functioning right, you'd be aware of it, wouldn't you? Yeah? I have a friend of mine who uh, was in a motorcycle accident. Of course, he doesn't remember anything, but he, he's awake now, and he has no foot. And it's weird to him, because he's like, last time I remember, I had a foot there. And so when I go and see him, he'll be lifting up his leg, and he'll spend a lot of time looking at it, like, and he, because, you know, he's still 
remembering the various things that have happened. He'll, he'll say things like, so what happened to my foot? When one of the, a, a girl Kathy and I took care of, she was pretty close friends with him, so we were in the hospital seeing him today. She, what do you call that thing? FaceTimed him. I, I'm not very smart with technology. She FaceTimed him, and the first thing he did was lift up his leg. Look. Because a part of his body, something's weird. It's, it's not. You would notice that a part of your body needs attention. The same way the scripture is telling us to recognize when a part of the body needs attention and then extend love and care toward it. Right? If, if you woke up one day and overnight your finger fell off, you're going to do something about it. Pick up your finger, go see a doctor, I don't know. If it's bleeding, put a Band-Aid on, something, right? So in the body of Christ, we call the body of Christ a body for a reason. We care for one another. When one is hurting, we want to remember them. So we don't forget people in prison. We don't forget people who are suffering and are no longer capable for a period of time to maybe be in our midst. We remember them as those suffering with them. And we extend that loving hand. We pour out the grace of God that has been poured out upon us. So that's one. you got nine more to go. You ready? Maybe I'll pick up pace. Maybe I'll just do five and let you wonder what the other five were. Okay, the second thing is <clears throat> we want to stand by the institution of marriage. In our world today, uh, because the church in the 1950s was corrupt, dealing with some corrupt issues, we surrendered the institution of marriage to the state. And the state taking the institution of marriage now believes they have control over what marriage is. Prior to that time, it was the church. If you wanted to be married, you had to go to church. You had to find a, a pastor or a priest who would conduct the ceremony who would unite these two. The scripture lays out what marriage is. And it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. What are we supposed to do till we see Jesus? You hold on to the sanctity of marriage. What is marriage? What's it say in Genesis? It's not complicated. Jesus said this. I love it when people say, you know, Jesus never really said anything about homosexuality no he didn't he just told you what marriage is in genesis you read for this reason a man will leave his father and mother be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh period that's marriage that's how marriage works marriage brings forth life so we want to stand uh loyal to the institution of marriage because all around us people are going to proclaim other things oh who cares about it what's the difference well, the Bible goes on to tell us, Hebrews 13, 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will... <laughs> for God will... It's always been Chris's favorite part of that. <laughs> for, <laughs> for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So what's the point? That it matters to God what marriage... God instituted marriage. The very first thing after we have creation... Adam goes around and he's checking out all the, the critters and he says, the Lord says, there's none found that are comparable to him. Everything has a pair, but he, but he, he doesn't have a pair. So God creates woman from the man, right? And then he brings her to him, just like we do in a ceremony, marriage ceremony today. 
the father brings a bride to the groom. He instituted marriage, one of the first things he did. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, hey, you've got to affirm what marriage is because this is not a new attack. Did they have this attack in Sodom and Gomorrah? For sure. Have they had this attack in Rome? Did they have this attack throughout time? Yeah. It, it always happens, and it always is birthed in affluent cultures who are able to, because of the ease of life, start worrying about silly things that you didn't have time to worry about when you didn't know what you were going to eat for the next meal. So, he says, this needs to be our attitude. 